0: Well, good morning. We'll be in uh, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish up this book today. We've been uh, now 10 weeks in the book of 1 John, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's been a very good 10 weeks, and I hope that you've enjoyed the study of this great book. And uh, we'll be wrapping this up today, but don't forget some of the things that we've learned about 1 John, because they'll... especially about John himself, because they'll become very useful to us about two months from now when we begin our study of the book of Revelation. John also was the author of that book. And many of the the principles of of interpreting the book of 1 John apply to the book of Revelation as well. Uh, Let me give you a, for instance, I, I shared with you several weeks ago how when you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is very linear in his thinking. He starts at point A and moves to point Z, and he wants to take you step by step through a process. But the Apostle John, when he writes, writes very differently. He's not concerned about moving from point A to point Z. He has about three points, points A, B, and C, and he hits them over and over and over again. Now, he's not repeating himself, because each time he goes a little bit deeper, helping us to understand a little bit more about the things about which he is writing. And that's what you're going to see in the book of Revelation as we dive in. It's a very important interpretive principle that John looks as though he's repeating himself. You'll see in the book of Revelation there's a lot of sevens, and many of those sevens refer to similar things. He's just looking at it from different perspectives. It's kind of like that old parable you may have heard, uh, old parable about the, uh, the blind men and the elephant. And they asked the blind men what the elephant was like, and they put their hands on the elephant, and one said, well, the elephant's like a snake. As he was feeling of his trunk. He said, It feels like a snake to me. And one said, No, the elephant's like a tree as he's feeling of his leg. Well, that's, that's kind of the, d- the difference here between uh, what John is going to do with us in the book of Revelation and also what he's done here as we've looked for these last several weeks at these three tests of assurance. You'll remember um, there's, first of all, the test of love in the heart love for God and love for people, that vertical love relationship with God and that horizontal love relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love in the heart. The second test of assurance is the test of obedience in the will. That I do the things that God commands. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then lastly, the test of truth in the mind. And we've talked about what are the things that we must believe in order To be saved? What are the essential truths of the Christian faith? And John could boil them down to two basic things. First of all, that Jesus is the Christ. That the historical man Jesus, who walked the face of this earth 2,000 years ago, is the promised Messiah. From all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, he was promised. And all through the Old Testament, over 300 promises. We're going to look at some of those promises in the weeks to come, in the series we're about to start. Uh, the first of November, it'll be a couple of weeks from now, three weeks from now. But that he, Jesus is the Christ, and then secondly, that Jesus is the Son of God. And John told us last week, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And John wrote these things, saying, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so the title of today's message is, Well, what do you know? You've probably heard that said many times, and today we're going to see, what do we know as we wrap up this book, and John wraps up this book in conclusion, the question for you this morning is the title of this message, what do you know? What is the assurance of your faith? What are you certain about if all else fails in your life? What do you know? If you'll stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, we'll read these last verses of 1 John. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 13, the theme verse of this book, John writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, and and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I pray for us this morning, Lord, that you would give us understanding of your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand the things about which we will speak this morning. And not just to understand them with our minds, Whether they would be implanted deep within our hearts, and that the result of these things would come out in our obedience to your will. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So as John concludes this book, we come here to verse 13, what we've said from day one in our study of 1 John all the way back to the 1st of August, that this is the very theme verse of John's writing. Just like in his gospel, John 20:31, which we'll come to at the end of the message today, John waits till the very end to give the purpose of his writing, whereas Paul often gives the purpose of his writing at the beginning, John waits till the end, just a part of his, his way of doing things. He does the same here. As he comes to the conclusion of this book, in verse 13, he gives us his purpose statement. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And we've talked about how this word know is very much the theme of the book of 1 John. Thirty-nine times in this book you find the word no and in this last portion seven times we'll see this word no giving us the indication that john wants us to have a perfect knowledge of what it means to have eternal life and that only comes through the son of god jesus christ there is no other source for assurance John is not encouraging us to be assured in ourselves. He is not encouraging us to be assured in our works. He is not encouraging us to be assured in this world. Thankfully, there's not much to be assured about in this world, is there? In fact, the Bible says this world is passing away. But the word of God remains, abides, lasts forever. And so what is this confidence. What do we know that we know as a result of the writings of John given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? First of all, we know that we have the confidence to inquire. He begins to speak here about the issue of prayer. And he says to us, this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would understand this morning the gift of prayer. James Montgomery Boyce said that prayer is one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life, and it causes for many Christians great confusion. But we understand that John here is speaking about the fact that the only reason that we can draw near to God in prayer at all is because of what Jesus did for us at the cross, That once we enter into a relationship with God through Him, now we have a confidence that encourages us to ask of God. I think about growing up in my home, there were things that I would ask of my father that I would have never asked anybody else's father for. I would have never thought of going up to my... My best friend was uh, Chris May. He was my best friend in all the world. We did everything together. But I always thought Chris's dad was a little bit scary. And I never would have thought of going up to Chris's dad and asking him for $10 in gas money you know, when I got my, my license. I never would have thought about doing that. I never would have thought about going up to Chris's dad and asking if I could get in their refrigerator and make me a sandwich. I never would have thought about just going in to their bedroom and and climbing up into his bed and hanging out with him. First of all, that would have been really creepy. (laughs) okay? But there are things that you will do with your own father that you would never do with any other father. And I believe that that's kind of what John's getting at here. He says, because you are confident in this relationship, in who you are in Christ, now that you know the Father through the Son, now you have the confidence that you can ask of Him. And we understand these things about prayer. There's three principles here about prayer. If you struggle with prayer, and I I just want to confess this morning, this is one area of the Christian life that I still struggle with. Prayer still remains, in large part, a mystery to me. Uh, It's one of those things that, uh, it's just a struggle for me, to be honest. And I confess that to you this morning. But I've learned some things this week. and be been reminded of some things that I hope that will be helpful to you. First of all, understand that when you come before God, if we ask, He will answer. This is a promise of God. And all the promises of God are amen, they are sure, they are 100%. It's, it's not if we ask God, sometimes he will answer. If we ask God, then he might answer if he doesn't have anything better to do. It's always, every time, when you ask of God, he will answer. He says there, if we have this confidence toward him, if we ask anything to his will, according to his will, he hears us. Now we're t- we're going to talk about his will before we finish this section. But when it says that he hears us, we understand when we take this passage and we compare it with all of the other teachings, especially Jesus in John 14 through 17, Jesus talks a lot about prayer and about the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And the continual idea is this, that when we ask, he hears us, and the hearing that God does is the answer of God. That when God hears, he is answering. It's not like my dad who, uh, my dad had a way, I call it selective listening. If the TV was on, you might as well forget about it. He is not hearing a word you say. And I really believe he didn't even hear you. If he is reading the newspaper, he has no clue what is going on with you in that moment. You can lay out an entire essay on him and he will not remember any of it because literally he has built-in hearing aids. I don't know how it happens, but he has no way of hearing you if the TV's on or the newspaper's in his hand. But our Father is not that way. Our Heavenly Father, if we ask of him, he hears us and his hearing is his answer. That's what we learn from the teachings of Jesus. Secondly, his answer is our present provision. We know that if he answers us, it will be in provision but look there at verse 15 he says if we we know that he hears us remember his hearing is his answer we know that he hears us in whatever we ask and we know that we have the request we've asked of him notice what it says there and the greek is very explicit this is a present tense verb that comes through in the english that we have the request not that we will have the request that we've asked of him I think this is very important for us as we think about prayer. Because many times when we pray, we pray with a great lack of confidence because we think, well, even if God answers, it will be sometime way off in the distance. But He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And John is laying that out there saying to you, when you come before your Father and you ask of Him, understand that in that moment you have the requests that you've asked of Him. It is a present provision. Provision. Now, we don't always see the present provision. It's a matter of faith. But he's saying, take heart in the fact that you, your Father will not keep you waiting unnecessarily. He is already providing for you in a reality. Even the very will that he's given us to ask is a sign of faith that he has given to us. And so, first of all, remember that when we ask, he answers. And when he answers, it is a present provision not way off in the distance but it is here and now that he provides for his children and third this morning the third thing we need to learn about prayer from what john is saying and this is repeated time and time again you can't hardly find you can hardly find a passage of scripture about prayer that doesn't speak about it this way that we must pray The most important thing about prayer is the key is the will of god The key to prayer is praying in the will of God. Now sometimes we don't know exactly what God's will is in a given situation. The things that we've lifted up this morning, even the prayer requests that were mentioned here just minutes ago, we may not know exactly what the good and pleasing and perfect will of God is in every one of those situations. In fact, we may have desires related to those situations that may not be the will of God. We're praying for a lady that's a member of our church right now. Many of you know Terry Carr. Her mother is uh, Miss Nancy Darneth. That lives at the top of the hill here. And 20 years ago, uh, Terry had a heart transplant, and they told her at that time that she would probably her her life would probably be extended three to five years. That was the average extension of life for a heart transplant at that time. But Terry was very careful to do all the things the doctors told her to do. But even more than that, she was very careful to pray and to ask others to pray for her. And now, 20 years later, this past May, uh, that heart began to fail. I I met with Terry on Friday, went to her home in Owensboro, and and sat there with her husband and with her daughter and with Miss Nancy. and, And we prayed together, and we asked God for a miracle. But the amazing thing about Terry's faith in that moment was this. She said, you know what? I already got my miracle. God gave me my miracle 20 years ago. Allowing me to live this long, to raise my daughter, to give me this time with my family. And I thought, what an amazing example of faith. And I want to encourage you, church, to continue to pray for Terry in these days, especially to pray for her husband, Neil, and for her daughter, Samantha, as it seems as though she only has days, maybe a few weeks left, but she comes to this time of her life with a thankfulness over what God has done over his present provision that when she asked according to his will that he has provided for her life, an extension of life far beyond what the doctor said would ever happen. No one expected her to live these 20 years, but she has and she's lived a life of abundance, a life of faith, and she continues to do so, even bringing joy to her pastor who thought he was there to encourage her this past Friday. And so if we ask anything according to his will, the Bible says, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. So how do we know the will of God? Folks, we know the will of God through the word of God. You cannot know the will of God and how to pray in the will of God until you dive into the Word of God. This is not optional equipment in the Christian life. This is a necessity for us because this is what will fuel our prayers. If your prayers seem lacking, dive into the Word of God and find that which you should pray for. We're going to find some things here in this next portion of Scripture this morning that we can pray for even this very week if you find your prayers lacking it's oftentimes because you're not praying in the will of god as revealed by the word of god and so i encourage you in that dive into the word of god and let the word of god his instructions for you guide the way that you pray and when you pray according to the will of god you know that he answers you and you know that his answer is a present provision John 14, 14, this is a great verse to remember. It's an easy one because it's fourteen fourteen. John 14, 14 says this, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Think about that for a moment. These are the words of your Savior, the one who poured out his blood at the cross for you. He says, if you ask me anything, I will do it. How can he say that? He can say that because He is the very begotten Son of God. He is the one and only who came full of grace and truth. And when He died at the cross for you, it was to make intercession for you. It was to be your mediator, to stand in the gap between you and God, so that through Him you might have life. And if God has not withheld from you His only Son, then will He not also give you all things? And so ask, and ask boldly. Come before his throne of grace with confidence and know that his present provision is for you. And if you ask anything in his name, that means according to his will. That means approaching him with reverence, with humility, but also with that boldness and that confidence. Then he says, I will do it. This is our first matter of confidence. Second of all this morning we have the confidence to intercede. And John gives us here something that we should be praying about. Now I'd say this is probably folks one of the most neglected areas of prayer in the Christian life in the American church today. We pray for those who are who are sick physically, we pray for those who are suffering emotionally, But here John encourages us to pray for the spiritual vitality of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The confidence to intercede for one another. Look at it with me again, verse 16. He says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, we'll talk about what that means in a moment, he shall ask God and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, there's two sins that that John talks about here. The sins that do not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. Now, there's a whole variety, believe me, a whole variety of understandings of what John is talking about here. Every commentary that I read this week had something different to say. One guy said it was this, one guy said it was that. Again, this week, you're just going to get my take on it. I don't claim to have all the answers, but you're going to get what I, where I've come to after studying it this week. And uh, there are much wiser men than me that disagree with what I'm about to share with you. Uh, but I'm just going to give you where I've come down on what he means. Uh, kind of like we did last week when he was talking about those three witnesses, the spirit and the water and the blood. I gave you my take on it, but I said there's a whole lot of other ideas. Yes. Folks, when we get to the book of Revelation, it's going to be, you're going to hear a lot of that. You're going to get my take on it, but there are all manner of different interpretations. That shouldn't leave us defeated. That should just leave us in faith, knowing that God has the answers to those questions and we just trust him and we do the best that we can to understand and we trust him with the things that we don't. So what is John talking about here when he talks about the sin that leads to death and the sin that does not lead to death? Well, first of all, in these verses, let's understand the overarching idea first. See, oftentimes, when we study the Bible, we'd, get, we'd miss the forest for the trees. we get caught up in the details, and we miss the overarching idea. But usually, it's the overarching idea that helps us to understand the details. So what is the overarching idea here? Let me lay it out for you. First of all, it's this, that sin in a brother should cause us to pray, not to gossip. Think about that for a moment. We see a brother or sister in Christ who has fallen into sin. Perhaps a man has left his wife, perhaps he has cheated on his income taxes. Perhaps he has, we could go on and on with the sins that we might fall into. All of us, we are still tempted even though we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. There is still the flesh warring against that spirit and there are moments when we fall into that sin but we know that we are not captives to that sin. We are not slaves to that sin. And so John says, for that reason, if you see a brother falling into sin, you should pray for him. Ask God and God will give him life the key word in this passage is if anyone sees his brother we're talking about brothers and sisters in christ here that we see one another we walk with one another we live in community with one another we entrust our lives to one another and if one of us sees another one stumbling in sin as if they've fallen in to a pit then one of us should go and should help him out but what about the one who has no one to help him out You see, many times when a brother or sister in Christ falls into sin, that matter becomes a matter of gossip rather than a matter of prayer. We must be very careful. It's as if we see our brother who's fallen into the pit, and we walk along and we look at him and we point and we laugh and we call all of our friends and neighbors to come and to point and to laugh at him. look at this fool who's fallen into the pit when we should be throwing down a rope to him. And helping him out. And that rope that we would throw down is the prayers that we ask of God to draw him away from the sin that would lead him unto death and draw him to life. Now what is John saying here? If you understand what John's saying, you've got to first understand what he's not saying. John is not saying that for us as believers, there is a sin that will lead us to spiritual Death that separates us from God. You've already been removed from that. John is not talking here about someone losing their salvation. In fact, John has spoken against that from chapter 1 all the way up to this point. John has been speaking against the idea that someone could lose their salvation. So what is he speaking about? Well, he says there, there is the warning. First of all, the warning. There is sin that leads to death. Well, what is this sin? What is he talking about? Again, my interpretation here. If we were to go over to the book of Acts, we find the account of two individuals, you may remember them, called Ananias and Sapphira. Anybody remember those guys? Okay, a husband and wife team, and they set out to deceive God ultimately deceived the church they saw barnabas selling his property and all the i guess barnabas got some accolades they wanted to get he sold his property and gave all the money to the church and they wanted it felt like they wanted to do the same but they they sold their property and they kept back a portion of the money for themselves but they came and brought their money as if they had brought the full sum to the church and you remember that story that as ananias brought that money in and laid it before peter peter questioned him and said what have you done ananias And in that moment, in his deceitfulness, the Bible says that Ananias fell over dead and that men came and dragged his dead body out of the gathering. And that his wife came in just moments later. She came in. And Peter asked her, is this the sum that you gave for the property? And when she, not knowing what had happened to her husband, said yes, the very same thing happened to her, that she killed over, and they dragged her body out as well. And it says that fear captured the church because they understood the holiness of God, that you don't lie to God. This was a sin that led to death. Now, I believe personally, folks, that we will see Ananias and Sapphira in heaven one day. Now, there will be those that would disagree with me. But I believe that they were believers who made a very, very bad decision and it cost them their physical lives. Same thing happened over in the book of Corinthians. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he speaks about those who were misusing the Lord's Supper. They were gathering together and they were taking the Lord's Supper in a poor manner. We read this passage of Scripture every time we take the Lord's Supper here in our church. And he speaks about those who had grown sick and those who had died because... They had misused the Lord's Supper. They had died physically, but I do believe that we will see those individuals in heaven. So what then is Paul saying? There's a warning here, folks, and this is for Christians, that if you would persist in sin against God, and John doesn't define what those sins are. He's not saying exactly what those sins might be But there are certain sins that when they are committed against God may lead to physical death. And John does not even encourage us to pray for those. In other words, he's looking back to Peter and saying, Peter didn't stop in that moment and go, Ananias, we need to pray because God's about to strike you down. No, Ananias fell over dead. And you never see Paul encouraging folks to pray for those who are misusing the Lord's Supper. He just says, stop misusing the Lord's Supper because you may end up like those who've already died as a result. And folks, we need to understand because of this, we come before a holy God. Sin is serious, even in the lives of the believers. And sometimes as a believer, we take license with sin. And we say, well, I've been forgiven, so it's okay. And while you may be secure eternally, remember the, the warning of John that he's played out throughout this book, all the way back to chapter 1. That if you are a son of God, if you are a child of God, that you will not keep on sinning. You will not persist in sin because there's a new spirit in you, a new life in you, a new heart in you that seeks to be obedient to God. If you can persist in willful sin and not repent of that sin, it is evidence that you are not a child of God. But John is saying here, even if you are a child of God, there are sins that you can commit that will cause God to take your physical life from you so that you will no longer dishonor His name like Ananias did, like Sapphira did, like those Corinthian believers did as they misused the Lord's Supper. So that's the warning, and we should take it seriously, folks. I do believe that there are Christians today who are sick and some who have died because of these very types of things. And John says, take sin seriously. Get it out of your life. Moving on. We have the warning, but we also have the gospel. And you can almost miss it here. We read over these, these scriptures, and sometimes we just fly by them, and we can miss the beautiful gems of the gospel that are shown all throughout. And here it is in verse 17. He says, all wrongdoing is sin, But there is sin that does not lead to death. And folks, that is the gospel message in a nutshell. That today, in this moment, there is sin that does not lead to death. Not because it's a small sin that's not deserving of death all wrongdoing is sin and as the book of Romans chapter 6 reminds us the wages of sin is death the due result of all sin even those little white lies the smallest sin that we can think of against God all sin the wages the due result is death but John here says but there's sin that doesn't lead to death that's the mystery of the gospel That today, if you are a child of God, your sin will not produce spiritual death in you any longer because you've been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. His death in your place brought you life. And folks, this is the gospel. That if you've trusted Jesus Christ today, that your sin no longer leads to spiritual death, separation from God, but now it leads to No longer that leads to the cross, the blood of Christ, covering your sin, poured out for you. And so you no longer desire to sin anymore because you realize the price that was paid. You no longer desire to live in disobedience to God because you remember the blood that was poured out for you. You no longer desire to remain in that place of slavery to sin because you've been freed by the Son of God. And this is the gospel. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but, this is the greatest transition in all the scriptures, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to spend the remaining part of our time this morning talking about Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where John ends, this is where we will end this study together, three confident assertions. And in, I want you to know this before we jump into them. They are all about Jesus Christ. Why do we have confidence in the faith? Because we are confident in Him. We are confident in Jesus Christ. Do not take confidence in yourself this morning. Don't take confidence in your works this morning. Don't take confidence in what you've been able to well up, some kind of false assurance this morning. Take confidence in Him. What is that confidence? First of all, Verse 18, that Jesus saves us from sin. Rapid fire here, he speaks, we know, we know, we know. What do you know this morning? First of all, we know that Jesus saves us from sin. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. You will not persist in sin. You will not continue in rebellion if you are a child of God. But he who was born of God, speaking there about Jesus... Jesus protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You remember Peter, just before the cross? That night, when when Peter said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said to him before the rooster crows this very night, You will deny me three times. Peter, the devil has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And what was the result for Peter? The result was exactly what Jesus said. I've prayed for you so that when you've returned, when you've come back, to your faith that you will be able to strengthen your brothers. And what do you see Peter doing at the day of Pentecost? Standing before the people of God, a repentant sinner, turned away from his denial of the Lord, and now empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel and doing things that had never been done before. And that is exactly what John is talking about here. That we have a Savior who protects us from sin and death. He's delivered us from it, but He also protects us from it. He continues to intercede for us. That He is seated at the right hand of God on the throne of glory this morning. And what is He doing there today? He is praying for you. Just as He prayed for Peter, He is praying for you. He's interceding for you with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and the Lord Jesus intercedes for us. They are in communion, one with another, a perfect unity interceding for you. That you would have strength. That you would overcome sin and death. Jesus saves us from sin. Second of these three assertions, Jesus has rescued us from the power of the evil one. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You don't have to fear the devil this morning. He has no power over you. We've talked about this in weeks past. He has no power over you but that which you give him. The devil is a dog and a chain and the Lord Jesus Christ is holding the leash. He can do nothing to you but that which is allowed by the hand of your loving God. Just like Job in the Old Testament. We look at Job and we see the devastation in Job's life. That we often miss the protection over Job's life that nothing happened in the life of Job apart from the sovereignty of God and the same is true for you child of God nothing is happening in your life right now apart from the sovereign will of your loving God sometimes that's hard for us to grasp but it is a matter of faith that we trust him and know that he has rescued us from the power of the evil one and finally as we wrap this up this morning the third assertion is this, that Jesus is the Son of God and we have eternal life in Him. Can you say that this morning? Is that your statement of faith? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I have eternal life in Him. He is the long-awaited Messiah that came into the world and that He he knew no sin of his own. He was perfect in every way. But he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is this the statement of faith for you this morning? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you trusted him by faith? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Let we leave you with John 20, 31. In John's Gospel, he concludes with these words, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you have life in His name this morning? Apart from life in His name, apart from life in Him, you're merely existing Your heart may continue to beat. Your lungs may continue to inflate. Blood may continue to move through your vessels. Thoughts may continue to float through your mind. But it is merely an existence until he comes to you and brings you eternal life. Until the day when you trust in him and you deliver all that you are to all that he is. And you trust him by faith and you know that in that moment you have the gift he has promised. You have that eternal life. And John has reminded us many times to go back to the beginning. Go back to that day when you trusted Christ by faith and the day when your faith begins to waver, when you begin to falter, when you're tempted to fall back into sin. He says, go back to the beginning. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the day when you were finally awakened to the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins. Not just some general term that we talk about in church, but the day when it became real for you. When He took that old stony heart out of your chest and put within you a heart of flesh that beats for Him. When He planted within you that Holy Spirit that now enables you to do what you could never do before in obedience to the will of God. That now enables you to pray, just as we've talked about, not just to pray for yourself and ask for what you need, but to pray for others, to intercede for your brothers and sisters even when they're falling into sin, when they're faltering and failing. Is that you today? Have you trusted Christ? And if not, know this. If you would call upon the name of the Lord today, the promise for you today is this. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. So call on Him today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come to the end of our service today, God, I pray that You would help us to examine our faith, to once more this morning take the test. Lord, to examine our hearts and to see if Your love dwells there within us. A love for You and a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That if there be any brokenness in those relationships, that we would repent of that and make that right before the sun goes down this day. That we would examine our will, our actions, and see If we are walking in obedience to your word, reminding ourselves that if we love you, we'll keep your commandments. It'll be not the source of our salvation, but the result of it. Lord, help us to examine our minds today. To ask these crucial crucial questions this morning that we would ask whether we truly believe that Jesus... The God-man is our Savior. And we've trusted Him by faith. And we know we have eternal life because of our faith in Him. And Lord, if we come up lacking this morning, that we know that You are the God of present provision that would call us to draw near to You, God. Thank You for that calling. That You've called us out of darkness and into Your marvelous light, Lord. I pray for those this morning that continue to dwell in darkness, that continue to be slaves to sin, that have not trusted Christ by faith, Lord, would you give them the strength, the courage to step out this morning and take you by your word to claim your promises as their own. Help us to respond to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.